0: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com writingexcuses writing excuses. Season 12, episode 40.
1: This is Writing Excuses, structuring a novel.
0: Fifteen minutes long.
1: Because you're in a hurry.
2: And this is going to take more than 15 minutes to write. <laughs> 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 I'm Brandon I'm Mary I'm Dan I'm bleeding <laughs> <laughs> Yes, for those not
1: benefiting from the video feed Howard, while partaking in some delectable cheese this morning managed to impale himself Well, oh, no, no this is not,
2: not right. an
3: no.
1: This is
2: not. I potato peeled, that's a I potato peeled my himself.
1: left index finger's fingerprint off
3: yeah, I was so. not here for this event I just walked into a lot of blood And, <laughs> and while there is no actual video feed I did post- Pictures on Twitter, and half the people thought it was awesome, and half the people were apparently eating when they scroll. I've, scrolled yeah, <laughs> I've been, been unfollowed by a dozen people. <laughs> I, you know,
2: it's, I I bring this up because in structuring a novel, when you are telling when you are telling these big stories, little events like this, uh, because ultimately this is a little thing. This is not changing the overall plot of writing excuses or of my life. Um, but it is... (laughs) Because it's the left hand. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, because it is the left hand. Um, But it is something that allows us to explore the characters of the people in the room. You know, Mm -hmm. Mary is helpful, and Brandon doesn't care, except there's blood in the sink, and Dan wants to take a picture, and... and,
3: uh, I like how Mary got remembered for helping, but she was also the one to be cracking (laughs) jokes like... A mile
2: admitted. a minute. That <laughs> was That was super helpful. <laughs> that was super helpful. Um, anyway.
1: Anyway, that actually brings up the first topic um, wow. for a structuring novel because the Good first question us. I have for you guys is, what makes something a novel instead of just a collection of
3: smaller incidents? Oh, I actually, this is something that I talk about a lot when I will do uh, classes at conventions and stuff, is the difference between a story and a bunch of stuff that happens. And the difference is that a story goes somewhere. Um, and I think that, you know, you've got, I, I, there there are always examples we can pull out. Like Huckleberry Finn is an incredibly episodic novel, but it does feel like it goes somewhere because you do have a arc of growth on Huck. Like he changes over the course of the novel. But there are other books that you, you read and you're just like, well, there's... There's no actual story here. It's just a bunch of stuff that happens.
0: I, I think that it it's not just that there's a bunch of stuff that happens or, or that the story goes somewhere. I think it's that actions have consequences hmm. and that a lot of times when you're reading something that is just a, a collection of incidents, it's a collection of vignettes, the actions do not have consequences.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would add to that that I feel the tying together of these incidents is some sort of thread of progression. It doesn't have to be the progression you're thinking. The classic example I usually give is uh, Larry Niven and uh, Jerry Purnell's, Purnell's Inferno, which I read and I was reading along thinking, this is just a collection of incidents, yet I'm super engaged by each one of them and I feel like it's going somewhere. And I realized it was just the travelogue. It was, if you haven't read it, it's a science fiction author who falls out a window and dies and then travels through hell, Dante's Inferno. And they put a map in the beginning, and you see he starts at the outer ring and starts working away toward the center. And I was really engaged by getting to the center. And that was at every place he would have an adventure with some people who were famous people who were dead or things like this. um, And then usually leave them behind to go to the next ring of hell. And without that little tying together of we are moving toward the center and I want to know what's there, I would have gotten bored with that book even though each vignette was good. And mm-hmm. so I think that for a novel, looking structurally, you do need that thing to keep us going,
2: even if you decide you want to write a series of uh, vignettes tied together. You know, an example of, uh, of, of that in a different medium was uh, when Peter Jackson was talking about trying to edit the 20-plus hours of really good footage they had for Fellowship of the Ring— down to the theatrical version, and he realized we he, they couldn't wrap their head around it until someone said this movie is really Frodo's story about deciding to pick up the ring and take it to this point. And he said once they had decided on that narrative, everything everything they edited into include mm-hmm. acts in support of that and. And this is something that isn't visible if you haven't seen the later films and acts in support of the things that they knew were going to come later, you know, because you have to you have to lay some groundwork for those. Um, But after hearing Peter Jackson say that, I went back and watched the theatrical version and every scene suddenly made more sense because I could understand why they picked that one.
3: Mm. Yeah. And this is why I say, you know, that the difference is that a novel has a story because it leads somewhere. And you're right, that first Fellowship movie, that's where it's leading. Everything's getting us to the moment where Frodo makes that decision. And you could totally make an entertaining version that's just, here's all the best footage we got, but that's not a story that's a highlight reel. So, Mary, I meet a lot of
1: writers who are short story writers who want to instead transition to writing novels. and They have a lot of trouble with it. Somebody who does both, do you have any advice for them?
0: Yeah. So, so one of the big things to understand is that there's a, a fundamental difference in what people are reading for. Um, short story readers are reading for that swift emotional punch in the gut that we've talked about in the short story episode. Novel readers are reading for that sense of immersion. So when you're when you're giving them the novel, what you have to do is you have to give them more of the world. Uh, this means uh, additional characters. Um, Also, all of the decisions that we make in a short story about, oh, I want to stay in this location so I don't have to, you know, build another set with more words, try different locations so that you're giving a bigger sense of the world, additional plot threads. And, And the way I look at the plot threads is, again, you can use the Mace Quotient as a tool for finding them. You can say, okay, so my character is primarily dealing with an event and there's a character. What questions do they have? What things can go wrong with their environment? So you can introduce threads that way. You can then look at your secondary characters uh, and decide you know, whether or not any of them get plot threads. Uh, right.
1: This is the big advice I usually give is let's expand who some of these other viewpoints are so that you can have another perspective. That's part yeah. of what, not the only way, but part of what makes a novel different from a short story is you can show multiple people on the same quest or whatever yeah. it is uh, you're doing for your main plot and have their – perspectives contrast one another.
0: Yeah. And I, I do want to be clear that just mm. because you're giving another character a character arc doesn't mean that they have to be a POV character because you can do this with a single that POV. That is true. Yeah. Um, uh,
2: a lot of new writers don't put enough words down on the page to evoke the feeling that they are feeling when they think about the story and uh often the right question to ask is, what is it that you want to evoke in this location? Do you want people to be spooked by the cemetery, or do you want this to be a peaceful place of remembrance? What are the words that you need to use to put that to, to make that work? And then in writing groups, and this is where writing groups are so critical, you get that feedback from your readers uh, who will tell you, "Oh, yeah, I, the cemetery felt like a very peaceful, wonderful place. Oh, you weren't scared. No. Oh well, then there are words missing. There are, there are senses that you haven't deployed. You know, you, you told us what it looked like, but you didn't tell us what the sounds were. You didn't tell us what the creepy smells were. Um, and it's not just padding. It is working to evoke the emotions that will immerse the reader, as Mary was saying, that will immerse the reader in this, in this story that you're trying to tell them
1: Let's stop for our book of the week, which is Memory of Water.
0: Yes. So um I went on this this reading adventure where I decided I wasn't gonna read any books written by Americans. Um because I wanted to to see what the, was going on in the rest of the world. And I read this novel, Memory of Water, by Emi Itranta, a Finnish author, and was blown away by it because it, it the, the narrative style. Is very definitely not American. It's set in in a future uh, where climate change has caused not just a change of coastline and all of that, but but clean water is very difficult to come by. And uh, her family has a tea house, and so water and clean water is very important to this tea house. But it's also water is so carefully controlled by the government that there is. Uh, There's a lot of regulations and, um, and, and indeed there's Finland has become somewhat fascist uh, in, in terms of how they're handling it. And it's just, it's, it's really great. It's a, it's very much a a coming of age story. It's also so evocative of place. Uh, And, and it is one of those novels that in Other Hands could be a collection of scenes, but it, it takes you on this progression as she is coming to understand what it is that she does and, and the, the importance of water. It's just beautiful. Just the language is, lo- I mean, it, it's in translation, but the, the language, the character development is really, really lovely. So that's Memory of Water by Emi Itaranta and I apologize to Finland for my pronunciation.
1: All right, so Structuring a Novel is the title of this podcast. We've mostly talked about this idea of smaller incidents or short stories. Let me ask you this specifically. When you are structuring your novels, how do you look at the pacing? Do you build in breaks for a novel where we're going to slow down a little bit here and let people take a breather? Or do you try to go breakneck the whole time?
3: I tend to build breaks into it, but I— but as a secondary effect of building in set pieces, okay, I want to make sure that the roller coaster has big high points, and that means by nature there's also going to be low points in it. So I do it, but backwards. Okay, from what you're suggesting.
0: Yeah, I do it. Um, this is actually one of the places where I am more likely to discovery write. Okay. Um, so what I will do is, uh, I lay it out, I lay out my, my, my mace quotient and, and all of my nesting things and figure out all of the scenes that I have. Then, um, then I grab Dan's seven point plot structure, uh, and map my, my, the points that I have into those and look for it for gaps. But then when I'm writing, um, that's when I will deploy the scene sequel tool Because I'm like, oh, this was huge, and I actually need to give my characters time to react to it, which will also give my readers time to react to it. So that's something that I'm much more likely to discover as I'm writing than I am to necessarily plan ahead that this is going to be a rest scene.
3: Yeah, I can absolutely agree with that. And the scene I'm thinking of in particular is in John Cleaver 5, where a character returns, and I won't say who it is, but an important character returns out of nowhere... And the outline gave John one scene to deal with it, and that was not enough. Yeah. He needed two. I had to write more. And so there was an entire extra chapter inserted because he had to process that. Yeah. I do not pay attention
2: to when the reader has to get up and take a bio break or eat or whatever else because I'm just not a considerate enough writer. Um, <laughs> I count on the scene sequel format to take care of that for me because I feel like regardless of when I tell them they should take a break, the reader's going to put the book down when the reader needs to put the book down.
0: Yeah. And
2: scene sequel helps make sure that those
0: things are there. Let's, let's briefly define scene sequel since it's something we've talked about in previous episodes previous seasons, but I don't think we've touched on here. Um, The idea is basically that in your scene action happens and in the sequel recovery happens that that's, a very short, compressed version.
1: Yeah, you know? I've found that in my own structure of a novel, which we've talked about in previous seasons, but I'll go into a little bit here, um, I naturally get this. My structure of a novel is that I outline by um, plot thread, uh, usually using the elemental genres yeah. from last year, which we built off of my entire plotting method. I identify a mystery, I identify a relationship, I identify these things, and I build bullet points in my outline underneath of things that need to occur Usually I build those backward. I say, okay, this is where I want them to be. This is how we're gonna get there, backward bullet points. And so my outline is a big list of goals and bullet points. Um, Then when I'm creating a chapter, I take some of those. Um, I'm like, all right, these two characters need to have this event that I've outlined that they will have. This thing needs to be discovered, and this place needs to be revealed for our sense of wonder. I now have three pieces of a chapter. I stick them together, And I discovery write a chapter that achieves those three goals. This is where the discovery writing comes in for me. And so very naturally, if you read um, my books, particularly the longer ones, you will find that chapters almost all have a beginning, middle, and end to themselves, that I'm structuring them each like a little novelette, uh, because often in the big books, chapters are 7,000 words. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we have beginning, middle, and end. And whether they are breather or not depends on how big a moment Mm -hmm. One of those bullet points is, if we're ending one, then it's big and explosive, and I will naturally, in the next chapter, do a different character and some of the things they're doing, which are in recovery mode, unless we're at a climax, which is where we go from
2: explosion to explosion to explosion. Credit where credit is due, real quick. Uh, Scene Sequel comes to us from Dwight Swain. Thank you. Who wrote a book 50 years ago (laughs) called Techniques of the Selling Writer. Uh, So that's where we get this Scene Sequel terminology. Been with us for a while. Um, I'm sure Swain's text is still applicable to what Mm -hmm. you're doing.
3: Yeah, I want to point out really quick that depending on the kind of book you're writing, um, you might have several scenes before a sequel, which I think it might have been what Brandon was asking in his original thing. My thrillers, and by this I'm thinking of the Cyberpunk books more so than the John Cleaver books, uh, where the intention is to be very fast and to not give you a lot of room to breathe. Sometimes, to reuse my roller coaster metaphor, sometimes you go down the huge hill immediately into a couple of loops, yeah. you know? And you'll have two or three, oh, we just got out of the frying pan, now we're in the fire, now we're, you know, the whole house is burning down. Um, and then, only then, after three of these, do you finally get a breather.
0: Yeah, and, and sometimes also, and a lot of people don't gra- grok this, that, that the sequel can actually, in some cases, it's just a line or two. Yes. It it does not need to be an entire giant chunk on its own. Um, it doesn't? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, and, and this is this is one of those places where learning to trust yourself and your own tastes and your own emotional responses to what you're read, writing are very useful, as well as getting feedback from readers about, uh, about what they're needing. Um, actually, in The Calculating Stars, which is uh, – one of the responses that I was getting from my readers in the the first version was that I wasn't giving enough space uh, and actually wound up splitting the book in two so that I could give more breathing space. One of the, as we talk about scene sequel format, there's
2: something that I've also talked about, which is the beat chart, uh, uh, which I will often incorporate in my outline, uh, which is a thing on the side of the outline that says, what is it I'm trying to evoke? What is it I'm trying to accomplish at each of these points? You know, it might be, I want you to be interested about what is happening with the plot. I want you to be feeling emotion for this character. I want you to be having your stand-up and cheer moment. Um, and it's not, it's not. you know, what is the purpose of this scene story-wise? It is, what is the emotional beat that I want to happen to the reader? Um, because... While I am an inconsiderate writer who doesn't care about when you need to go to bed, I am considerate of what you are feeling because I am trying to manipulate that. And if I put that into the plan, I'm more likely to get it right. Let's go ahead and end here and ask Howard to give us some homework. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, take a film or a television program that was not based on a book. Um, so you can't use Game of Thrones, you can't use The Expanse, you can't use the Lord of the Rings movies, take a film or a television program, that does not come from a book, uh, that you like, then, you know, after seeing it or assuming you're familiar with it, sit down and write an outline for it in which you are expanding it into a novel. Not novelizing it, not doing the, not doing the Alan Dean Foster, you know, novelization of Star Wars. No, you are writing the novel... That is what this movie would have been if it were a best-selling book.
1: This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write.
0: Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson.